I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. With Boyd Matheson. Will Twitter, Twitter become a place for regular people to have more open and honest discussions online? Some people worry about the changes Elon Musk will make to the site if he follows through with his plans to buy it. But could those tweaks, Twitter, actually be good for you and maybe not be quite so good for Facebook and Meta? Mark Jameson's a non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he researches antitrust issues, digital privacy, and internet regulation. And he joins us online. Great piece in The Hill titled, A New Twitter is a Threat to Meta, Not to Democracy. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Joe, it's my pleasure. Thank you for talking with me. All right. So let's take a look at this. Uh, obviously, there's been a, a lot of shouting and fretting and hand-wringing uh, as Elon Musk's uh, acquisition of Twitter continues to march forward uh, seemingly at a, at a pretty decent pace there. Uh, what's all the hand-wringing about? Well, as far as I can tell, the hand-wringing is largely about people worrying that there are other people who may say things on Twitter or someplace else on social media that they think is wrong. The, the, the people doing the, the talking here, they are afraid those other people are wrong and that those other people might have influence. And so the first people we're talking about here want to control that. They're all they're worried about all this disinformation, misinformation getting out. Uh, and so as you as you look at that, of course, some of that is uh, really in your wheel wheelhouse when it comes to antitrust uh, kinds of things, Internet regulation. Uh, and is this really just going to be a, a battle of the titans between Twitter and Meta? Well, no, not at all. Actually, we're getting into a space where there are going to be a lot of startups coming in and competing. Right now, I'm focused on, in this particular writing, about this competition between Twitter and Meta. But what we're seeing emerging in what people are calling the metaverse is a whole lot of other types of companies coming forward. And I think Twitter could have a leg up on getting into that space. Oh, I think that's fascinating uh, because one of the things we always look at when we talk about uh, regulatory control or antitrust is, you know, are we are we actually doing things that are are good or are we just allowing these mega companies who can hire an army of lawyers and lobby lobbyists uh, to stifle the innovation and the competition? Uh, and so you're actually saying that, hey, there are going to be some startups in there, but maybe Twitter with Elon Musk at the helm would have a little bit more of that entrepreneurial flair. Well, that's right. So one of the things that I always try to help people keep in mind is that when we look at a market as today, as it is today, and we think, oh, gee, this company looks like it's really big and really influential. That's a very end of history perspective. We assume the future looks just like today, but the mm. future never looks like today. So we want to focus on what kinds of things are going to be happening in the future as best we can tell and understand that the future always surprises us. That's why we call it innovation. 
if that weren't true, then we could all predict uh, the future and we'd all be wealthy. But <laughs> only a few actually do that very well. Uh, I love that principle, Mark. And that's, this is an important one for our listeners. Uh, the future does not look like today. Uh, and I think we, we have seen that in so many political things. Uh, we often refer to it as they're either fighting the last war or they're just focused on the present. But it's always it's always about the future. And I, I love, Mark, that you've uh, put such a nice spotlight on that, that it, it's not different. And it will surprise us. Uh, and those that are nimble and able to adapt and adjust uh, should be rewarded. Uh, we should reward those people who are, are seeing the future in the future and then uh, and then making it real. Yeah, the, the future's really tough. Um, something only like 10% of the companies that start up actually succeed. And it's an incredibly small percent of those that actually succeed in a big way. So we're all fighting for that big future. If you try to cut it off, if you say, like some of the legislation we're seeing in Congress now, if we try to cut it off and say, you, you can't get this big, we're making two really fatal errors. One is we're saying that if, you're, if you really want to aspire for the future, forget it. We will cut you off. But you're also saying those hundreds of millions of customers that love Amazon, that love Facebook, that love Twitter, that love whatever, they're wrong. And we should stop them from buying the things or using the things that they like. Yeah, I love that. That's so, uh, such uh, great insight. Uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit, as all of this kind of plays out, uh, both from these big uh, tech companies and from the role of government and, and regulatory regimes. Uh, the issue that I think is is so crucial to the nation right now is trust. Uh, we've lost it in so many places and institutions and even in each other. Uh, what could this mean in terms of restoring trust uh, to the to the end users? Well, one of the things that we see in the, in the research, I'm an academic, so we, we look at research, and it, it, we find that people are losing trust because of, of two basic reasons. One is they're unable to predict what others are going to do very well. And we're surprised by what our elected officials do. We're surprised at that. You know, how much data Facebook was, has been using to do the different things that it does. And those surprises make us go, I, if I can't tell what you're doing, how much do I want to invest with you? And then the other part is of trust is does the other party, the other the company that we're talking about or any of the companies we might talk about, do they have our best interests at heart mm. or are they willing to do things to us? So if we want to build trust, we have to deal with both of those things. And I think Musk has an opportunity with Twitter. He wants to be more transparent and he's sincere in that and shows people here's exactly what's going on that builds trust. And if he opens communication so people actually hear each other and come to understand each other better and understand the platform better, then we have an opportunity to start saying and, you know, actually, there's some things that you've been saying that I'm afraid you've been saying that, that really aren't so bad. Maybe we have some areas of agreement here, perhaps. No, I love that. And uh, one of the things you mentioned in your in your article on the Hill uh, is that cryptocurrencies could also play a part uh, of the platform. Tell us just quickly about that. Well, one of the things that a Musk-led Twitter has an opportunity to do is change the basic economic model of how social media works. Most social media works in terms of, of you having free access to the platform, uh, 
you basically use it for the send out whatever you would like to send out, and people then compete for your attention to send you advertisements, etc. That's a very oh, low information right. um, system uh, for social media. What we can do is allow people to engage in, in some transactions. So for you, for example, you could say there are these kinds of people that when they listen to my podcast, they show it to other people. And I would like to encourage them to do that. So maybe I, some of them I'll actually pay mm. because benefit well out for free but these people over here you know I, I need to make a living I, I might start charging them and someone else may package your podcast with some other content from time to time and you can have a different kind of economic relationship with them all of these are fairly complex transactions and having it in a cryptocurrency where you can embed what we call smart contracts, these formulas that say, if this happens, then this other thing happens, allows people to build all kinds of different business models, which then allow a whole new business model for journalism. Right now, journalism is, is struggling. The, the way that we've done things with newspapers and such in the past just aren't quite working yeah. for us anymore. Yeah. But the cryptocurrencies, these blockchain technologies, these things we call NFTs, all of these open new opportunities for people who produce valuable content for a living to find great new ways all right. Fantastic. to make a living doing that. Uh, fantastic. Mark Jameson's non-resident senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Great piece in the Hill. Mark, thanks for your perspective today. And speaking of cryptocurrency, it's been a wild ride for digital currencies. After the top of the hour break, we're going to come back and dig into that just a little bit deeper. Stay with us. Hour number two of Inside Sources coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.